but hello and welcome back to another episode of heels on the court today we kind of gave a little sneak peek on our instagram about how we had something big this week and we have our first guest we have john hartophilus joining us the ceo founder and host of gen z hoops uh gen z all about the Gen Z basketball coaching and sports business, where you interview professional players, coaches, and executives from all across the sports industry. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really awesome to have you here. Thank you both so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I know uh, when we connected, I was just really excited you know, just to talk, get to talk to both of you, and I'm really looking forward to it. Awesome, awesome. So I know that a lot has happened in the sports industry. I mean, just yesterday, we've got the two, the AFC and the NFC championships going on. We'll probably talk about that at some point, uh, just a little bit like go Chiefs, go Bucks, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the Bucks, but a lot happening in the basketball world, which is kind of what we wanted to talk to you about with the James Harden trade and what's going on with the Nets and the Rockets and everything. So uh, just to kind of kick it off, I mean, we saw that the whole trade and all the kind of different details about it with the Nets having to surrender control of their first round pick for the next seven drafts to acquire James Harden and partner him with KD and Kyrie. Um, I mean, from your opinion, who in the trio is going to embrace the third wheel status like Chris, Chris Bosh when he went to Miami to be with James and Dwayne Wade or like Ray Allen did in Boston alongside Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce? It's interesting for sure to think about, um, especially when you talk about three players that have been so ball dominant in the past. What I would try to mention that a lot of people, I feel like everyone kind of focuses on the whole one ball, not enough to go around. These guys have had, they, they've all filled the role in some way, shape, or form in their career of not being the number one option. Uh, James Harden is the is the only one that it's you know he's seven years removed from that you know being from being the sixth man. So for him, it's difficult for me to make that case because of such a long time ago. Even though he has done it before, but for Kyrie in 2016, it was that was obviously LeBron's team that won the that won the championship. Mm. For Kevin Durant in Golden State, he might have been the most talented player and their, their leading scorer, but there were a lot more pieces and there were a, a lot of other great shooters on that team that needed the ball as well. So they've, they've all in some way been able to adapt to that. If they're as good friends as we think they are, and they're obviously brilliant basketball minds to have gotten to that level, I think they will be able to make, the, make it work. I definitely see the problems that could happen, but I, don't, I, I hate when people say they can't make it work. Like, why can't they? Mm -hmm. they're, if they're so good at basketball, how can, how can we just write them off and say they're not going to be able to figure it out? These are three of the, of the best basketball minds, three of the best shooters ever, right? Just when it comes to straight shooting, there's no, there's no denying that. So when you have just all that talent, it, is it difficult to make it work? Of course it might be difficult, but I can't see, I, there's no reason for me to say definitively it won't happen. And I think that when, when you ask the question of who will take that third real role, I'd hope, I mean, you, in most cases, it's the, le it's the, it's the uh, third, it's the least talented of the three, which in this case would probably be Kyrie Irving. Um, it, just because I have James Harden and Kevin Durant having been former MVPs and just having been so explosive scoring-wise. Kyrie's never been the best player on a championship team um, or a championship contending team. Right? When Ky when Ky after Kyrie left LeBron to kind of prove that, and he had, he had, he had a, lot, a lot of difficulties doing that in Boston and, and Brooklyn the last two, uh, last two or three years. So KD and James Harden have, done, have, have been that before. Um, so that being the case, I, I think it sh it, it's going to be anyone. It, it probably should be Kyrie. I'm not sure how, he, how it's going to ha work with him. And we've seen the last few weeks what he's, his reaction to just playing basketball has been. So I don't know how it's going to be playing basketball with, with, the, with under these circumstances. But definitely something that I, as, a, as a New Yorker, even though I'm, I'm, I'm mostly a Knicks fan, it's something I can't wait to see. Totally. And I mean, I kind of giving a little bit of background about myself and I, Sam can probably give a little bit of background about himself. But currently right now I'm in an NBA kind of um, 
build up program. It's called the Future Sales Stars program. And basically they're teaching us everything there is to know about partnership sales and ticket sales within the NBA, working with the league office remotely. It's been great. Um, and we've got our group chat going. And as soon as this trade was talk was happening everybody was like so a Nets championship what's going on we've got the trio happening but yeah you brought up uh, Kyrie kind of being the the lowest player out of the three and kind of being at the bottom of the stack Uh, how much can the Nets even count on Kyrie after the messy exits in Cleveland and Boston and the Rocky start to this season you know we saw the back-to-back losses the cratered out defense and how Kyrie took to Instagram telling uh fans not to be worried because he's not worried um and everything that's been going on lately with with him of course so I mean I would say that they really can't depend on him 100% at all there's guys like I mean James Harden Kevin Durant they come to work every single day they don't really have a history of having issues like that I think that Kyrie Irving has been painted in a in a in a a little bit of a negative light by the media in a way that I don't think is completely fair to him. But in the same breath, it, he's really not helping his case that much when he's when he's acting the way he has been acting in, 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 uh, in, uh, recently. I, I remember listening to Kevin Durant and him on the Boardroom Podcast and the Boardroom University, and they were talking about how, about how he's been under uh, um, painted in such a, in such an unfair way, and how you know, he donates so much to charity. There's all these amazing things, and I don't think it's a reflection on Kyrie Irving as a person. But there's definitely something off on on his why and, and like what he enjoys about playing in the NBA. There's definitely something that's off there, and it leads to him being MIA from games, which is something that's very uncommon, especially in someone of his caliber. So mm. it, it's it's really a situation where I mean, it's funny. Like you ask anyone this, they, everyone kind of just says, "I don't know." It's like it's the one thing where like everyone unanimously just has no idea what to make of because it's all in Kyrie Irving's head. And he's in control fully of what he could do. Now, if he gets in control, will that lead to a championship? I, I wouldn't say that Kyrie Irving had, you know, holds the keys to the Nets winning a championship because so much more goes into play than that. But he definitely holds the keys to his own brain and getting himself in, in playing shape and, and being able to hopefully um, contribute to the Nets winning a championship. Totally. And I mean, I guess now that we're kind of counting Kyrie at the or at the bottom of the list, who do you think among the, you know, Durant and, and Harden has the personality to lead the way of the pecking order? Ooh, that's interesting. That's funny because I always hear about the problems with the Nets. Everyone mm-hmm. always talks about the problems and who's gonna and who's gonna be third play, who's gonna be third. Everyone always talks about that, but no one really talks about who's gonna be the alpha. Um, just because there's so many. It's funny. Most other super teams you hear about that more often. With this one, it's more been about what can go wrong other than what can go right. Right. But in terms of who, should, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, when it comes to talent and who's done it before, Kevin Durant just done more than James Harden has. Um, James Harden has shown. leadership yeah it's tough let me me take that back (laughs) James Harden (laughs) has shown that he could be the best player on the team the same way that Kevin Durant has but I mean even in this with the Rocket with the Thunder he's not uh, with the the Nets he's not leading them in scoring right It's, it's Kevin Durant that's doing that he's not James Harden I don't think is the spokesperson for the team it's Kevin Durant Mm-hmm. James Harden isn't the leader in the locker room. I would imagine it's Kevin Durant, just because that's the way it's kind of always been with him. Um, so I would I would think it, it it falls on the shoulders of KD more to lead the team, but Harden definitely. I mean, he's he's been facilitating great recently. He really is kind of the engine maybe that gets them started with his playmaking and with the, obviously his gravity in terms of pulling defenders away from the rim. But I would put more on KD's shoulders in terms of he's definitely more of that. He's definitely more of that alpha and that and that leader for for that team than I, I would think Harden is. I definitely agree with that. Sam, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, um, you're, you're talking about a guy that has obviously had tremendous success in 
a role in the NBA championship with a team that was already a super team with the Warriors. And uh, it, it, I think when you look back at that that run when they had Kevin Durant uh, in Golden State, it was really kind of they rallied around him that season until he got injured. Uh, and so I, I think that's something to look out for, that he's he's always been able to take over a game, take over a team. I think he's he's a pretty easy personality to get along with. But um, I think the big thing for me that stood out in the offseason when kind of this whole situation was starting to unfold is that um, Steve Nash was hired, and then we hear talks about Oh, we don't we don't have a head coach here in Brooklyn. We're this is a joint effort. And to me as a coach, I kind of was like blown blown away by that. I was like, well, that kind of really doesn't sound like such a good thing to be saying about your head coach. But the more that I've thought about it, um, you know, it's it's a situation where I've I've coached AAU with a bunch of of really good kids, ESPN top fifty players, and. I've had that experience and sometimes really good coaches, what they do is they step back. So the more that I've kind of thought about that, the less that that's become a concern for me. So I'm not worried about that as much as I was at the beginning, but I'm curious, John, what you think about those comments about Steve Nash and sort of what position that puts him in as the named head coach, but are they really treating him like one? Yeah, definitely from the sound, just the sound of that comment and just, I mean, the way they've been playing so far, you don't really see on the court there be that many issues. There's, of course, the issues with, with Kyrie, which I would imagine have a, have a, have a role in play, uh, have, play a role in that. And you might, you, I mean, the next few weeks, you might see so much with maybe James Harden or other guys on the team acting up in certain ways, which we'll have to wait and see on that. But in terms of, it's, from a coaching perspective, uh, you know, whether it's having coached Xavier or in any other capacity, I mean, I would say that the, the biggest thing I know is, uh, or I hear all the time as a young head, co- as a young coach in the, in, the, in the high school space or anywhere, mm-hmm. is you can't be their friend. And I try to, t- like, it's a fine line between, you know, getting too close to the players who are going to take advantage of you and, you know, being an authoritarian. And obviously, with at the professional level, it's totally different. Where there's no, there's no, the, the French, the, it's, it's a business. It's not, it's not the same. It's not the same right. way. And it, being an authoritarian, like, like the, the business is totally different. So that's not really something I could speak on in that sense. But it, it is, it does hold true. Where it's okay, how much control does Steven Nash have? Like he still needs control over the team. That's just plain and simple. And does he have that when guys are making comments like that? Because from 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 that from a comment like that, and I'm sure if that if that comment was made then, I, I don't I don't can't imagine how much has changed since then because it's not like. He's made a comment. There's been there've been comments made, kind of fixing that. Where it's like, oh well, Coach Nash is doing this. Like, I haven't heard that either. Um, so being that we haven't heard anything that kind of corrects that comment, I would imagine that still holds true. And there's nothing been shown in the court to prove otherwise. So I mean, it might mean that we'll really find out come April and May when the playoffs kick in and we see, okay, is this t- is it- are they ready to play playoff basketball? Because that's well coached teams are the ones that can play playoff basketball. Um, we'll fi- we'll find out then. But until then, we just have to hope that they are able to work it out and work be on the same page. Because a collaborative effort sounds—it sounds like, of course, it should be a collaborative effort. Basketball is—it's a—it's a team sport, and coaches should work with their players to get the best out of them, and vice versa, um, just to, to to do what's best for the team. But when you hear it the way in the in the, the way that Kyrie Irving said that comment and others that have that have uh, preceded it, it just—it doesn't sound like something definitely. It's definitely not the ideal situation for a, for a first-year head coach in Steve Nash. Yeah, so we were doing a little little cleaning around the house, and uh, I thought this might have been a little bit of an interesting thing. And since we're going to be taking a break from from video uh, podcasts for a little bit, I thought that uh, I would bring it on. And we have a basketball coach with us, and 
I know that you played at the high school level, um, or a good player at the high school level, and this is kind of just a glimpse into uh, to what an SEC program kind of looks like and what I got to experience on a day-to-day basis. So you can add in, you know, some things that maybe are similar to what you've experienced or things that are totally new or, you know, whatever it is. But uh, so basically it's it's going to be backwards for you when, when we have the recording, it will flip. But uh, this is what you get when you show up uh, to a game in the SEC. So basically what they give, and wow. I'll just kind of read it to you a little bit, is um, so you show up, you show up to the arena, uh, usually like an hour and a half before the game, and this tells you, so 60-minute clock starts when you get there. So this particular game started at 531. Uh, so 60 minutes before the game started is 425. They go through... Okay, clock time, you go out onto the court with 44 minutes left on the clock. That'd be 441 and so on and so on. I don't need to read the, the whole thing. Gives you the three referees, rules about media timeouts for that day, and then who's actually brought out um, for the post-game press conference after and who's allowed to approach anybody in the locker room. And the second thing is what we use for preliminary scouting reports, which I thought was pretty interesting. So... We take a media guide. It looks like this. This one is um, particularly thin because this was the second game of the season in the 2017-2018 season against Eastern Kentucky at home. Um, tells you their scoring averages, field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, rebounds all the way through, anything you could possibly want to know, turnover margin. It tells you, gives you their probable starters, um, gives you a, a full history of the, the program, uh, what the coaches have done, where they've coached before, where the players have played, where they've, you know, where they played before, where they came from, whether it be another college or a high school. Uh, it really gives you everything you need to know to start a, to start a scouting report. And I know that that's a really big part of high school coaching. And I was just curious too, if, if you had seen anything like this, how you guys do it and uh, kind of what that process is like for you when you're coming up with a scouting report or, helping your uh, coaching staff out. Oh, of course. And that's super interesting. Um, at the high school level, so I'm kind of like this crazy freshman coach, you know, second year coach that I had a full stat sheet on with the four factors. And I would do, I did substitution uh, analysis, which everyone was like, John, what are you doing? Like, like, this, like number one, our, 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 my, the first team I had was really, really good. Our second team, a couple guys got moved up and it was, it was not as talented of a team. And our, our, our win-loss record um, showed that. Mm-hmm. But... I, I still would do lineup data and I would have lineup data on, on the freshman team and everyone would say, okay, why are you doing that? And it's okay. Well, now we can see who works best, who, who works best where, um, which, which line. And over the course of a season, we got a pretty good idea of that to where it helped. I, th- I feel like that, that, that chart helped us in the playoffs to kind of make lineup specific to what we were trying to do, um, which I really like that. What I, the one place I really saw these kind of stats being used and I really liked it was with a program called TPG Scout School, which you may have heard of. They, they, they um, went bankrupt slash... Um, don't exist anymore as of 2019 but i went to the last event they ever had in brooklyn and we went and scouted three college games um, at the barclays center and we got this huge book very similar to yours and we would just take go down and scout every single player in the starting lineup and and the following day was with uh, adam felipe who was a a former guest on gen z hoops um former scout for the lakers who kind of walked us through and said okay what are we looking you know let's let's try to paint the picture of this player to the gm and honestly, just that, that entire that, that world of scouting is very interesting to me. It's not something that I, I think I, ha- I have a future in, but mm-hmm. it's definitely something that I just it really piqued my interest. And in. it, it, it did make being 
learning the scouting game and the basics of the scouting game definitely did make me a better coach because you, everyone, you know, when, when you're a kid or when, or, or when you're first starting as a coach, you don't, you don't have to look at a, at a layup line and say, okay, wow, this kid's making shots, this kid's not making shots, he's good, he's not good. But right. there's so many nuances in it that you that really once you start scouting people and you're and you're and you're looking for it in film and not just watching to enjoy and you're watching to actually figure out okay how does this guy play, so you you just unlock so much more and understand so much more. So that mm -hmm. was definitely like the, the world of scouting is definitely so interesting to me. And thank you for sharing that because it's something that I think definitely it, it, um, casual fans or people that maybe aren't in the coaching sphere kind of forget how much work goes into making those scouting reports, especially with you know. 44 minutes to go we're doing this before the game and the, the, like, like that's that's fantastic and I, as, as a basketball yeah. kind of junkie it, it just it really those kind of things it's it's weird but they, they excite me for sure yeah no i'm i'm the exact same way and that's why i think i have lee to kind of keep me in line when it gets a little too nerdy and people don't want to hear it but uh you know there's a lot of <laughs> sometimes um, he'll really... just go on <laughs> but there's a there's a lot of really interesting tools and resources and coaching that a lot of people don't really know about and uh you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious just to know and just kind of having a conversation at this point. What do you guys use for film? Do you, you are you able to use film at all? How, how does that kind of because that's my background is in um, is in video coordinating. And so I was really just curious, kind of just as coach to coach, how, how do you go about uh, using film in, in your day to day work? 100 percent. So the varsity team uses huddle. Um, and that, that, we used to use crossover, then crossover got bought out by Huddle, so mm -hmm. we transitioned back to Huddle. Um, and all the games are up there, they break it down for us, and then our head varsity coach goes in and, and, and messes with that. Um, and obviously, I, I love going in and looking at, at, what he, at what he sees being, you know, having done it for 30 years, and seeing what he's able to pick apart from all these, from our, our rivals. And especially, too, what I find super interesting is that he finds so many trends. Like, he'll, he'll reference in a tape a play or... Or, or a scheme that they've been that they're running now that they ran ten years ago, and he remembers it, and he he cites it in the huddle thing, and we can go back and look at that, which I find super fascinating. So that's great. I mean, in terms of for the team that I coach, I mean, I, I, I for the first time ever, um, I had every single freshman game recorded. Um, I had I, I got an iPad for this specific reason, had a whole tripod set up, and was able to record every single game, upload it to. I, I did it through YouTube because huddle is very expensive, of course, especially yeah. for, for for a team that doesn't. You know, we, we weren't getting it through the school budget. So I would upload them all to YouTube in a, in a, in a private uh, playlist, um, private uh, li links to where you needed the link to view the, the playlist. And I would have to send it out to every single player. They'd all be able to watch their games. Parent, they'd be able to watch the games, actually, on the train ride home from the game. So the game would finish. I'd pack up the iPad, go into the coach's office while we're giving our – it'd be in the office while we're giving our pep talk. It'd be uploaded before they even walked out of the gym. So they'd be, they could be on the train watching film of what literally just happened. Which, if you take too long to get to, you know, to separate yourself from the game, you might start to forget exactly what it felt like to make that mistake. So it's definitely something I think watching films the best way to learn, um, and it's it's definitely the most efficient way to learn. A lot of guys don't like doing it and they get lazy with it and it's it's boring. But when you find when you find guys that really appreciate the game and really and really love getting better in whatever way they can, they'll definitely mm -hmm. make time for it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you from having worked with uh, with Terrence Davis and Brian Tyree. Uh, two guys that, you know, I mean, Terrence Davis with the Raptors and then Breen Tyree kind of, I, I think he probably would have stuck on with an NBA roster had we had a full offseason. It's just those guys are so in, invested in what they do. And it, and when you see a high school kid that is that invested at the same level as an NBA player, it it really is cool. So for me, just having transitioned from from the college game to the high school game and then and then you see that same love for the game, 
it's really a cool thing. And then you're able to maybe not always compare the physical abilities of one kid to a kid that's now in the NBA that you worked with, but you're able to, to kind of just compare the, the love, the tenacity, the, the work ethic of these, these players. And you start to realize that, uh, you know, every kid is capable of putting in that much effort. It's just how much they really love to do it. And uh, that's that's great what you guys have going on. I think that's really good stuff. And I'm all for film. I'm all about film. And uh, really, really, really fantastic stuff. I love to hear that when I talk to high school coaches, fellow high school coaches. Oh, for sure. I'm always with film. I've recently, I'm a huge football fan. Even though I work with the NBA, I'm I'm huge on football and love watching games every week. But I just, I keep finding it funny how people are holding their play sheets in front of their mouths, even though all the coaches on the sidelines are wearing masks and everything like that. Just speaking of film, like trying to make sure that people aren't reading lips and things like that. But I just think it's too funny. But before we get any deeper into anything like super crazy with basketball because I know that Sam could probably ramble on and on and on about everything we want to open up the floor just with the last couple of minutes that we do have for anything that you might want to talk about I know that previously we kind of talked about usually you talk about how you've used LinkedIn over the summer to network with all of the past players and coaches that you've had on your show uh, if you wanted to talk about that but the floor is open for anything that you want to talk about John Oh, for sure. I mean, I could definitely talk about the LinkedIn stuff because I feel like that's something that most people find unique because no one ever talks about LinkedIn. I feel like it's, it's a very underutilized platform and there's so much potential to really find success with it. Um, people that, I mean, look, the stereotype about LinkedIn is that it's number one, super professional and you need to be a businessman to use it or, or something to that effect. And B is that all you get is, is people asking you to buy their product, which is true. It does happen a lot, but I do see a lot of real huge positives with LinkedIn because for, for me at least, um, at the start of my show, the, the whole reasoning behind the show was that I'd met with someone at NBA Entertainment before the pandemic, and he basically looked at my, it, it wasn't really a job interview more so, it was through a connection at Xavier, and I got to meet him um, just to kind of get to, to get introduced, and he looked at my resume and said, why is lifeguarding on here? Why is your you know volunteer work on here? And I said, oh, well, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not, well, I, I, I said it in a, in a better way, of course, at the, at the time, but that, you know, I'm 19, and that's, and that's what I've done so far. He goes, well, he's like, you need to prove to us that you're a freak, that you're a basketball aficionado, that you love the game, because everyone can say it. Right, I can come on the show and tell you as much as as many times as I want that I love the game and that I'm passionate and that I and and that I, I watch it all the time. But what does that mean to you? Everyone, anyone can say that. Um, what, what I need to, what I need to prove is okay. How, how can I prove it? Um, Adam Filippi from the from the from the Scout School event, he had said that he would carry around scouting reports everywhere he went, and present and and have those to show for it. If you if you asked him what do you know about the international game, because his whole thing was being an international scout, he would say, okay, here's my scout, here's my you know entire. Uh, portfolio of a hundred scouting reports that I've done. For me, I have I have an advantage because it's in in the tw in the twenty in the in twenty twenty one, I'm able to have just show a, a podcast on my phone and say, okay, now I can say, look at the 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 kind of guests I've spoken to, who I've interacted with, and what I've learned from that. Because not that I know the game, not that I'm a, a basketball genius now, but I have at least some uh, something to sh point to and show that say, you know what, I know something about the game, or that I know something about networking with people, or, or getting or getting guests to like me to end up coming on the show. So when it comes to something like like that, that kind of that's kind of repeat the transition with with LinkedIn is what was so powerful was I needed a guess because I was having I was doing these player breakdowns to show how I know, knew the game and realized that it wasn't interesting. I, I needed someone I, I needed a guest to come on and, and and have their audience, have their story, have something unique to talk about. So how am I going to do that though? I, I have no connections outside of that. I have okay, I can I can bring on my old high school coach. I can bring on uh, one of my old trainers um, was on the Greek national team and that that's cool. 
But at a certain point, I need to start getting people that I don't know and, ne and networking, which is, a, which is a scary word for, for college students everywhere because we hear it shoved down our throats all the time. But really, it's okay. If I DM any of, the, any of, my, pod, any of my guests and I would say, hey, can you come on my podcast? They likely wouldn't even have seen it because it would have been on in, in their requests on Instagram. But if they did, they get so many of those a day, it, it, it really wouldn't have been unique. And they would have seen my, my Instagram, like my, my personal Instagram. It's just weird. Like that, that's really not how those things happen. On Instagram, if you're, if you're verified, sure, that's easier. But for me, it wasn't going to happen. On LinkedIn, though, LinkedIn's built for professionals. So with all these coaches, they're on LinkedIn for the purpose of networking, for the purpose of getting their name out there, for the purpose of building a brand for themselves. Um, when I would come with a unique pitch, like, hi, I'm, I'm, I host a Gen Z basketball podcast. I'm, 20 year, I'm a 20-year-old high school coach. I was able to use my age as, a, as, a, as, as really a, a tool to, to, tell, to tell more about myself in a way that on LinkedIn, it was, it was kind of permit, permiss, per, uh, permittable for me to do so that wouldn't have been available on other platforms. And then kind of my biggest tip on like the, the crazy thing I do on LinkedIn really to, to help with all these guests is um, I started off with 50 um, connections around June and they were all my closest friends. Um, a few months later, it was, it was I probably had broken, I took, it probably took me about two months to break a thousand. And then now I'm, I'm, I'm closing in on 3,000, we'll, we'll see. And, and, and they're all basketball professionals. And the reason being that it's been able to grow at such a rate is because I went through every single team, right? Every NBA team, every WNBA team, every EuroLeague team, every G League team. ESPN, The Ringer, um, at, at Nike, New Balance, everything I could find, every sport, every basketball-related company I could find on LinkedIn, and connected with everyone on their page. Now, of course, not everyone's going to connect with me back, so now I have to get creative. How do I make them connect with me? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I can leave them a personalized note, which takes some time, but if I want, them, if I if I really want them, that's the step I'm not to take. Or B. Um, if just by over time, I'll, I'll accumulate more mutuals with them. If I have two mutuals with someone, it's not surprised they're not going to connect with me. If I have 150 though, because I've done it so many times, now the chances go up. Now on, on Instagram, when someone doesn't follow you back, you unfollow and refollow as many times as you want to remind them, hey, follow me back, follow me back. LinkedIn's smart and they don't want you doing that. So what they do is when you withdraw a connection request, they make you wait, wait three weeks to, to give it back. Fine. That, that they, they're, LinkedIn's trying to stop me. It's not going to work. Because what I've, my, my workaround for that is that I open up every, so I have about, I send out probably about a thousand connections a month at least. And they're all different people in the industry. I open up all 1,000 of those in new tabs, obviously one by one because my computer would burst into flames if I didn't, if I didn't segment it. <laughs> but I have them all open in new tabs. I save them as bookmarks, right? In a, full, in a folder titled the day that it happened. So today's the 25th. If I did a, if I did a wave of them today, They've been a folder called the 25th, and then three weeks from now, sometime in the, in, the, in the 20s of February, I'd go back in there and connect with them all again. And hey, guess what? In the, in the, in the month, in the meantime, what probably ended up happening was I grew the show even more and had some more cool guests on, so the show's more lucrative. Or I added a new experience to my LinkedIn because I, I picked up another internship or another opportunity. Or I gained another 50 mutuals with you, so now you kind of feel like you know me, even though you don't. Um, so that's really been the, the, the kind of the method to my madness in terms of using LinkedIn to, to build the mm -hmm. show. And it's something I, I, I love to share because no one, like I've never heard, like that was just something I came up with when I saw how LinkedIn does that. I was like, wow, okay, that's how they're going to stop me. But then I'm like, wait a minute, I just have to wait three weeks. That's all they're doing is just, is making it incon is inconveniencing me. Like it'd be great if they didn't have that feature, but then everyone would do it. What yeah. I love about it is that it takes me more effort, but that's why I'm able to find success in it because I'm the 1% that's willing to send follow-up yeah. connection requests and do all that work. And I would, I would hope it, it, it continues to pay off in the long term where it, it really aids me in that networking process.
I thought I was a LinkedIn expert. Jeez. <laughs> now I'm just like, I got to write all this down. Luckily, we've got this on recording so I can reference, yeah, it, can, reference it later. It. I'm trying to send out as many LinkedIn requests as I can right now. Still trying to learn about like all these different industries, like especially with, you know, I'm trying to go to law school. I'm studying for my JD and everything. Want to get into sports and law entertainment, like all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm just trying to add everyone I can. And I think that it's also really interesting that in a lot of different types of um, like career paths, a lot of people, like some people aren't as open to helping like as others. And I think that the sports industry is one of those industries where people are really willing to like help you out if you're young and you're trying to break into the industry a lot of people will connect with you and like if you just want to chat for a couple of minutes just about like their experience and ask them a couple of questions people are so open to it and I think that that's something that's really incredible I know that I've connected with a couple of people in the past couple of weeks and just done a bunch of informational interviews just over phone call Um, I've had people connect with me and I don't even think that I'm that influential within the business and they just want to hear about my experience and ask me a couple of questions um but i think it's definitely one of those communities that everybody's just like yeah go ahead and connect with me i've i've rarely gotten somebody being like who are you like i don't want to connect with you or not gotten some kind of reply back but uh, now i need to go on linkedin i'm like ant like buzzing to like yeah, log on ready. right now oh i'm sorry you go ahead Oh, can you can you write a bit? I was I was gonna just piggyback off what what Larry just said. I was gonna take yeah. it a step further and saying that the sports industry is definitely one of those industries where networking is definitely promoted and, and you hear about it everywhere. Maybe another some other industries I've, I have friends that are trying to get into med school or or, or law school. And it's a little like networking is a little bit different just because it's not really about in those professions. It's more about what you know than who you know. In the sports industry, it's mm-hmm. all about who you know. Um, like I, I would like to think I know basketball, but it's really what mostly will probably ca- will carry me through my career is the fact that I've built connections that can vouch for me in knowing basketball than it is so much that I actually can, what is there, is there such, such thing as passing a basketball test or, or sh- I mean, like, of course I could maybe, you know, have a, have a vast knowledge of stats and coaching and all that, but it's very hard to quantify that like the way it is in, other, in some other professions in the sports industry. It's a lot about who, you know, but what I would say, what I would uh, say about that is that your age is definitely a, a tool or maybe even a weapon to really, to really showcase yourself. And, and when I got to that event, I was 19 years old. I was scared that I wouldn't be taken seriously. What ended up happening was the flip side was I was 10 times more interesting because I was the youngest person in the room, which is something that I was, I was scared of at first. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna go there and everyone's gonna be so much better than me and it's gonna be so scary. And then I get there and everyone's like, oh my God, you're so young. And then concurrently that same day, I had to coach a basketball game and, and Xavier's 15 minutes from the Barclays Center. I jumped on the train halfway through the conference to go coach a game. I thought it'd be a bad thing, but I mean, I, I, I didn't know any better because when I came back, all everyone cared about was how did the game go? Did you guys win? What happened? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's really a community. So definitely the sports industry has that community there and, and, and everyone kind of wants to help each other out. At the same time, I feel like you need to have something to offer both ways. There has to be a way to provide value. Um, one, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from one of my guests, Kevin Tarka, who's a sports agent. And he's very big on this whole networking idea. He has his own podcast. Um, where he kind of gives these sports business tips every single day in sports business, uh, sports business daily, or, or no, that, that's that's the publication. It's sports business secrets, but he does a great job of he of always talking about how how can you provide value. Now, to be completely honest with you, does my show get thousands of listens to where when Tommy Shepard came on as a GM of the Wizards, did he get that much publicity? Probably not. Um, he he like it's, it's not that I provided value to him in that way. But I think what's bigger is the fact that I made an effort to because Tommy Shepard gets emails from everyone. He gets people asking for jobs all day long. I had people in my sports business club ask me, hey, can you, can you send Tom an email asking for a job for me? 
And I was like, that's that's not like he's never gonna respond to that. That's just not how it works. If if I reached out to Tommy Shepard and said, Hey Tommy, I'm John, I'm 19, I'm from the, whatever, I'm super passionate about basketball, can I get a job? There's no way he'd ever respond to me, ever, in a million years. Because he gets a, he gets those those all there's probably keywords. So when someone says can I get, it probably immediately goes to the spam folder. He probably has that set up somewhere. Because that's all he gets asked. Right. But because I kind of offered him something, even though it wasn't, like I said, in the grand scheme of things, my show doesn't get thousands of listens, it was still a, a, an attempt at saying, hey, Tommy, how can I provide you value? Let me try to, you know, here's a platform I created. I'm trying my best to, to do something that helps both of us. That's what made him respond. Um, and that's the same thing with all my guests. If, I mean, there's so many of my guests where if I ask them for a job or for advice, they might be willing to respond. They also might not. So it, it, it really goes both ways. And, and that's something where I think that it, it, it's another thing, like I said, with the LinkedIn messaging for it, it allows people that really are, will go that step above to really stand out. Mm-hmm. So what's what's your big goal? What is it that you want to achieve in, in the basketball world? If you don't know right now, that's totally fine. But I'm really curious about if you had it your way, how would things pan out for you? So my immediate answer to this is always I, I want to be an NBA GM. And I mean, it's, 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 a, it's really not a something that I'm 100% confident in being so young. I know I can, I, I can change my career 10 times in the next five years and be, and be 100% okay. And that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of, of, of having that, 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 that the, the advantage of being young, of course. Um, that I, like, I'm taking a referee. Once we get off this call, I have a referee class at 7 o'clock. I, I don't plan on being a referee, but I want to learn about that. Um, but do I, I, I am confident though that if I wanted to become a referee and I dropped everything and tried to do that, I could be a really good referee. And if I dropped everything, went into refereeing, and then realized that wasn't going for me, and I went back into coaching, I'd be just fine. Or maybe I just said, you know, you know, basketball's not for me and I did something else. I'd still be okay. That's not going to happen. Basketball's my life. Um, I'm fully committed to the game. But if that were to happen, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, that's the perk of being young. If I, if I, was, if I was 60 years old, I probably wouldn't be able to, to have the same confidence and say I could change my careers that easily. Mm-hmm. But still, that, that's, I do try to keep it flexible. But the, 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 easy, the quick answer for me is to be an NBA gym just because that's the pinnacle. And that's the hardest thing, and that's what everyone, everyone. If you ask anyone that really has no idea, it's someone that's into sports, and you ask everyone them, wants to be a okay, GM. Everyone, because that's that's just you're you're the gatekeeper. And the way Tommy Shepard explained it was, I'm the gatekeeper of a team. And I thought, wow, that's so cool. Like everything, like the idea of being like the caretaker for a team, and like everything about that team goes like like come like stops and ends with you. That's that's insane to me. And of course, that gets me excited. But maybe once I actually get there, and I'm an assistant or I'm in, I'm an intern in, in the op, in the in the front office, where I think the front office is for me. Maybe once I'm actually there and I'm there in person, it, it ends up not being for me. But I'm I'm pretty confident that that's that's where I want to go. That's amazing. I don't have any like hiring power or anything. I'm not like an important person. But like I I want to hire John for something. I don't know what it is, but I want to hire him. You're hired. Like I don't know what for, but that, that like nailed it. I'm just like, yeah, this kid is I'm like and I say kid, I'm like what, 4 years older than him and I feel like I'm like 30 years older. But no, uh that's such a great answer though. And you're right. Everybody wants to be a GM and my undergraduate in my sports business class are program director was like so what does everybody want to do with their life and all 50 participants were just like we want to be gms um yeah. so that's the that's a hundred percent accurate but no i mean clearly you've got your head screwed on correctly and you know what you want to do so you're gonna go far where i'm i'm confident about that already yeah i'll just Thanks say though so it isn't it's interesting that that um yeah i think maybe going into this that, that lee and i kind of had this uh assumption that that you and i would have more in common than you and her 
<laughs> I think I, I feel like we've talking. got more in common. Yeah, <laughs> because because my, my with, the, with the co- with the coaching stuff with the coaching stuff we definitely have that in common. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah. you know, I'm I'm looking to, to to coaching college, and it's a totally different you know experience in a. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I I think that so many people have offered such great advice, and it's always nice to hear what other people have said. Um, and I think one of the the best things that has ever been told to me when it comes to trying to get back into college basketball. And I won't say who told me, but if he sees this, I'll know it's him. Uh, but that the most important thing you can do is maintain the relationships that you currently have because maybe they're not doing anything for you right now. And of course it's not about getting people to do things for you, but you know, maybe, maybe they can't hire you this this year or the next or the year after, but maybe in 10 years when you've gotten a little bit further down the road, they can do something for you and, and to stop sending so many blind emails, which was a mistake that I was making in my first couple years out of college. And so to hear you say in college that you have kind of already figured out, you know, a way, a way around that in a way to, um, to avoid those sorts of, of emails and introducing yourself to people uh, like that. That's really cool. And, one thing I want to tell you about, and maybe you already are a member, um, but I wasn't told about it for a little bit, is uh, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Um, okay. And they have a uh, they have a conference every year at the Final Four that I go to, and that's where I've met most of my connections. Is I just bring, I, unfortunately, I only got to do one year because last year it got canceled from COVID. But I brought a business card that just was very short to the point. This is what I've done. This is who I did it for. These are my recommendations on a little card. And I just passed it out to as many people as I possibly could. And, you know, most people, if not all that year, couldn't do anything. But a a lot of the conversations I was having with people leading up to this year before COVID kind of derailed some some avenues for me, uh, a a lot of those people were just willing to talk. Um, and so it's a really cool thing if you ever get a chance to go do that, especially if the Final Four ever comes into your area, which it very well could. Um, you know, I guess uh, that's another thing to get into another time of what kind of stadiums they'll do the Final Four in and which ones they won't. But, uh, you know, it's it's really something that was worth worth the time, the money, everything to go and experience that. And, and just to see a Final Four was really cool. And so that's something I would suggest you. They have a lot of really cool resources and um I actually don't think it's too late to sign up if you want to do it virtually this year. They're doing it. Um, you can sign up at nabc.org, I believe it is, and um, become a member. Go to this virtual event where you get to network and learn from some of the best coaches in the game. And it, it's it's really an awesome, awesome experience. And, you know, for me, I got to see a lot of old friends, too. So it it becomes kind of a reunion every year when when you know a lot of people that go. It's really cool. Of course, and I just looked it up on the side. It's not coming. The Final Four is not coming to New York for at least the next like five or five plus years, which is kind of upsetting. But <laughs> you're right that that's able to happen soon. Yeah, I mean, I went to Minneapolis and from Los Angeles, and it was worth every penny and worth that entire week to just get to meet so many coaches that I looked up to. Like, I, I think I think one of the coolest moments for me, and this is a question I'm going to ask you right after I, uh, so I'll propose the question, answer it to give you some time, and then you can answer it. But uh, kind of a moment where you felt, I don't want to say you didn't belong, but just like kind of a moment where you felt like, wow, this is a really cool thing that's happening to me right now. And for me, it was when I met 
uh, Coach Josh Passner from Georgia Tech. Um, I saw him on an elevator at this conference, and he, poor guy, probably thought I was stalking him. He was like on the phone with his wife or something, and and I followed him up and down the escalator, and eventually I was just like, I'm I'm sorry, Coach Passner, I got to interrupt you for a minute. I got to introduce myself. And he's actually somebody that's been a really huge resource for me ever since I met him, and a really really nice guy. Uh, but that that was kind of one of my big moments of, wow, I'm I'm actually I provide some worth. There's something I bring to the table. People are interested in talking to me. So I really wanted to know what sort of things have happened to you that have made you feel like all this work that you're putting in is really going towards something. Yeah. Oh my, I mean, I could have just jumped right in because there's so many to pick from. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when it comes to this, I mean, overall, I mean, my, for, my, for my high school career, it's kind of funny when you kind of introduced me saying I had a great high school career. I, it was great to me because I got cut from the freshman team as a freshman, the JV team as a sophomore, and the varsity team as a junior. And I was the only person to ever make it as a senior. So to me, it meant a lot. But I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I didn't have the thousand point kind of careers a lot of other people may have had that would quantitate a, a successful high school career. But what makes it especially successful to me is that I got asked to come back and coach. So I can call both those moments. That If I, if I don't make that, that, that team as a senior, and it took a lot of hard work to do that, I'm not doing what I'm doing now because that leads to me not coaching at Xavier, which means to me not making the connections that I made to then even think about making the podcast to then being where I am now. So it kind of all, that's the kind of the first moment where that, that, that one accomplishment kind of let the domino effects go, uh, started a, a domino effect, but taking it back to kind of where we are now, I would say the most recent one. I mean, for the podcast, it, everyone, there's so much research done on like how 3% of podcasts make it past episode seven. Um, everyone kind of gives up around like like right there. You get you get your first few episodes in, you start seeing some success, then your numbers kind of pan out, or you have trouble getting viewers, and everyone kind of stops. I think it's it's somewhere between six to eight. There's like a decimal number as to every single podcast outside of the the top two percent, three percent die after that point. So, for me, getting out of that 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 uh, getting past those episodes and getting to where to to what I, to what I was able to what I've been able to the numbers I've been able to get now is all through. The, the small wins. So I got Alan Stein on. That was huge for me because he was always someone that was untouchable, you know, on a computer, you know, that I would watch on YouTube. Um, it turned into a G League coach, uh, Ty Ellis, fantastic, fantastic person. Um, Tyrone Nesby, who used to play with Jordan. That was, that was crazy to me. So those were all the small wins. The one that really made me realize that the podcast was actually going to do something for me. And it, it really kind of justified the four months of hard work before that was getting Tommy Shepard on in October. Um, Right before him was Howard Beck and, and, and all these other huge guests that, that really kind of made me say, okay, I have something going here. But once I actually had one of the 30 people on the planet that has the job I want to, I would hope to be in in the future and that almost ever, all my friends, you know, all, the, all they say is I want to be a GM. He came on and spoke on my show. That was kind of the moment where I said, okay, wow, like this, this, this was the, this is what we needed to really get this thing going. Um, and now I've just been kind of riding the momentum up to this, uh, up to where we are now. Incredible. All I can think about is how this is episode eight for us, and I'm just like, oh, we made it. <laughs> oh my god, no, yeah, it's, you're you're right there. No, but this is so the so the question. I mean, what do you guys? I mean, a lot of shows, right? People in your maybe people in your position would quit right now, right? Yeah. It, it, it just happens. There's the, the numbers on that are staggering. But once you guys get to 15, you're unstoppable. I probably like 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 it, it's a wrap. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, speaking for myself, I don't know how Sam feels about what we've been doing, but I've, I've been having a lot of fun, and, you know, I'm, I'm super passionate about what we have been talking about, and I, I find it just interesting to hear Sam's opinion. I mean, I've known Sam since 
I mean, we're 24 now. I've known him since I was probably 12 or 13. Um, wow. And I don't think that, you know, at the time that I'm, I we met, I definitely wasn't interested in working in the sports industry. I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but it definitely wasn't sports. And now we're kind of on like parallel trajectories in our careers, I feel like. And it's just been interesting to hear his point of view. It's it's awesome to be able to have guests like yourself come on and, and hear your story and hear what you've been going through and what you're passionate about in in the industry so i think that i think we'll definitely make it to 15 whether or not it's a successful 15 is is yet to be debated but we'll make it to 15 15 episodes i can't wait to see you guys get there oh my god appreciate it so thanks for coming on uh we usually end like around 45 minutes and we're there but uh before before you go before you go quick super bowl prediction yes super bowl so I, I'm a little biased because Levante David is uh, is one of the athletes uh, affiliated with X2, which is the sports drink company I help work for, like with Kawhi Leonard. Um, so I'm I'm a little biased in saying that I want the Bucks to win. I think and I think they'll win. I mean, obviously it would be huge for Tom Brady, but in terms of just what the Chiefs have done, I mean, just in in my short stint of being a really big on football in the last two three years. What, like you really can't count the Chiefs out and be like, okay, well they, they, they you know, they're gonna go down twenty. When they, when the team comes back from down twenty four nothing in a in a, in a, play, in a playoff game, mm-hmm. or you know they, they're they're on the ropes so many times they keep on coming back and having such an explosive offense and a great quarterback and just really everything you need to win a, a Super Bowl. It's tough to to it, like it's tough to say that they're gonna lose. So I, I would have to pick the Chiefs, but I hope this podcast comes out. Afterwards, so I'm not held accountable. So I'm not held accountable if Levante wins. Levante, no, so Levante's not mad at me. We're, we're holding you accountable. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, John Hartafillis says that the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Levante, please forgive me. But... Go ahead. And well, thank you so much. I'm, ca- I'm, ca- I'm calling it how I see it, Levante. I'm sorry. Well, thank you so it. much, John, for coming onto the podcast. All you listeners out there, make sure that you check out John's podcast, Gen Z Hoops, and make sure you give it a listen. Can you find it anywhere you find podcasts, John? Yep. Yeah, we're. I mean, I'm in some distribution networks in like Japan and India, just for oh, wow. SEO purposes. So you can pretty much find it anywhere. Um, it's like really, there's a. The, I'm trying to get bigger on YouTube with the video version, but like mainly the main things are of course Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. So everybody go to Spotify, make sure that you hit that subscription button or whatever it is on Spotify and Apple, Apple play, whatever. I don't have Apple music, but John, thank you again so much and tune in next week for another episode of Heels on the Court.